listeners, and welcome to another episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. In this bi-weekly podcast, Joshua Hatton and I <laughs> share a whiskey. We, I haven't introduced you yet. We share <laughs> we share a whiskey-related news story. One of us reads it to the other for the first half of the podcast. We then riff on it in the second half, and we try to get out of here in a tight 30 to 35 minutes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But let me say, Joshua Hatton, welcome. I love seeing your face. And the listeners, I hope, love hearing your voice on these episodes of Extra Extra. I love my face being seen. And I f- almost feel bad for our listeners that they can't see my face while I'm... Re- I'm sorry? You're shaking your head no. No. I, I think the <laughs> listeners have got the better part of this deal. It, it, You've got a face for radio, <laughs> as they say. I tell you, it's been a long week in getting together with you for a little bit on a Friday to, to break it up <laughs> and, and talk about... To talk about an article we've, me- we've been meaning to talk about for a little while, it is also a treat, Jason. Three names, so uh, so I thank you. Normally, we try to surprise the other with the article. Mm-hmm. For this episode, we both said we must cover Richard Baum's article that he was kind enough to send in. Yeah. I, I, it, and that's all I know. I only know it's Richard Baum's article that he sent in. Okay. How about you jump in? With a, with a title and an author and, and get us started. Okay, okay, perfect. Well, let me start with his email first. Oh, yes, right? yes, please right. do, yes. And so the the email, which came in May 22nd, and, and he even says it here, you know, it's not necessarily news, but it's something I'm interested in you guys discussing. Uh, the subject of the email says, is Kokumi the next taste sensation? And this is a Wall Street Journal article. So... And it's addressed to you, but I'm going to read it anyway because... Uh, yeah, thank you, Richard. I, I, I did notice that when I saw your email, so thank you. Well, I am feeling... Because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the host. I think that's the direction you went. Ah, uh, okay. That makes me feel so much better. Okay. That's, so, why, that's why I'm telling you this. So he says, hi, jo- uh, I mean, Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Continue. I've been meaning to submit this for a possible extra, extra topic. Though the article mentions only sake and not whiskey, it's pretty clear to me that it's talking about mouthfeel. It's a fascinating piece that adds some new ideas about that elusive quality we love so much. Richard, right? Straight to the point. Brilliant. Right? That's- he knows it's a tight 30 to 35. So he just got in, he said it, and he yeah, got out. Yeah, that's like the missionary position of emails. I really, I really liked that. So some might call it the Raymond Carver of emails, but that's a different yeah, I, type of. I have no. You said words. I don't know what they mean. Um, I imagine I should. Anyway, so is Kokumi the next taste sensation? And then there's a subheader which says chefs and scientists are investigating a new flavor from Japan that promises richness without fat and may find an official place on our plate. And, the, and there's uh, two authors. So it's authored by both Rob Dunn and Monica Sanchez. And the, and the article itself is actually from April 17 of this year. So we just, you know, he sent it a month later. We're reading it a month and a half later. Here we are. Strap in. So it starts off saying, 
1907, while enjoying a bowl of soup made with dashi broth and kombu seaweed, the Japanese chemist Kikune Ikeda, and I apologize to Kikune for destroying that person's name, had an insight that would change the culinary world. He noticed a taste that wasn't sweet, salty, sour, or bitter. Aikida gave this hard-to-describe savory taste a name. Do you know what it was? Kakumi? Umami. Oh. This is the person uh, who came up the, with umami. What was, the, what was the year you started that with? 1907. Okay, I thought you said 1907, and then when you apologized for butchering their name, I thought I'd misheard you on ah, 1907. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's umami. 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 Brilliant. Table has been set, okay. so to speak. Yep. Well played. Um, Thank you. And went... Pro move. <laughs> and went on to identify the specific amino acid that triggered it. Mm-hmm. Scientists in Europe and the U.S. remained skeptical about whether umami really was a taste until a receptor for it was discovered on the tongue almost a century later in 2000. Hmm. Uh, today, it's taken for granted by most scientists and chefs, but interest is now growing in another taste first detected in Japan. This newer taste, kokume, is even harder to describe than umami but it's potentially <laughs> just as important for understanding how and why we enjoy food. In Japanese, the term koku describes food that have the kind of mouthful, quote, thickness, often imparted by fats, which English speakers might describe as rich. Mm-hmm. Oh, rich. Who was it that wrote into us about uh, rich? I think that was Balancer. I think that was Balancer's <laughs> right. So hopefully Balancer's <laughs> listening and... And it's taking a cue from here. Um, Terrific. It goes on, quote, It felt like a physical sensation, says the culinary scientist Joshua Evans. It works, quote, by coating the mouth and becoming more intense and being extended in time, end quote. Hmm. We asked what... Extended in time is an interesting phrase. I kind of like that, that that sensation is presented and then carries through to the finish, maybe, right? Yeah. That's how Salmon Nosrat describes fat in um, salt, fat, acid, heat. Hmm. A cookbook came out in the last few years. Very well regarded. There you go. Okay. When asked what foods have koku, Japanese food experts list wild boar, adult wasps, duck eggs, and aged sake as well as long-simmered and fermented dishes. Koku reflects a sensory experience most closely allied with touch, influenced by aromas and textures, adding the Japanese suffix mi, meaning taste, highlights the specific taste detected by the tongue, kind of like umami, right? The precise nature of kokumi remains the subject of great debate among sensory scientists and chefs, in part because it can't be detected on the palate on its own. Rather, it modifies other tastes and flavors, which I think mm-hmm. I want to touch on this in the second half, but think about what texture does to your overall flavor experience when it comes to whiskey, right? I've been thinking the exact yeah. same thing as you've yep. been saying yep. this. Good. Yeah, and, and to be clear, Kokumi... Is K-O-K-U-M-I? 100%. Am I correct? Yes, yep. 
Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Kokumi. <clears throat> okay. I'm loving this. This is great. This is really good. The earliest Kokumi research focused on the contribution of garlic to foods. <laughs> In 1990, Japanese scientist Yoichi O. Uida discovered that if he added diluted garlic to two types of soup, people eating them would describe having more sensations associated with kokume. Subsequent research isolated the amino acids in the garlic that seemed to cause the effect, including glutathione. 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 That's it. A Japanese lab claims to identify the taste receptor triggered in glutathione, and scientists elsewhere have discovered that glutathione, Jesus Christ, uh, and other compounds appear to trigger kokume in yeasts and in other foods. These include long-cooked meats such as chicken and chicken broth, some cheeses such as blue Shropshire, Gouda. Oh, yeah, Shropshire. Shropshire, you know that? Okay. Gouda and Parmesan. And fermented mm. foods like beer, soy sauce, and fish paste. Though I would argue beer is not a food. That's another story. Anyway, I shall continue. Some sensory scientists remain skeptical. Paul Breslin, a nutritional sciences professor at Rutgers University, contends that the term kukumi will be difficult to understand and use, quote, until the scientific and non-scientific community can agree both on its definition and on the prototypical eliciting stimuli, end quote. That is to say, until we know more. <laughs> is that your edit no or no, no no that's the author's edit <laughs> i'm not that smart i'm not that good that was very good um for all the uncertainty kukumi has two potential important implications the first relates to our understanding of human evolution the second human health especially efforts to create foods with fewer calories but with more flavor in both cases Kukumi may provide a kind of missing link. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I feel like I'm just making that noise all the time in this episode. I'm just it's, mm, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a really good article. It's a really interesting mm. article. Interesting, it is. And it goes mm. on. It says our own research suggests that one key to the adoption of fire by humans and the invention and adoption of fermentation was the flavor of cooked and fermented foods. It's known that humans, and then this is a parenthetical comment, as well as dogs, gorillas, and chimpanzees, (laughs) prefer cooked foods over raw foods. Humans also tend to prefer many fermented foods relative to their raw counterparts, but it has long been unclear why. One possibility is that humans evolved a preference for complex aromas and the experience they contribute to flavor. Uncooked meat and rotten meat is full of pathogens. Both tend to have simpler aromas than cooked meat or meat that is fermented and full of beneficial fermentation microbes. It's also notable that cooked meats and fermented foods tend to have kukumi. We might picture an ancient human ancestor holding up a piece of meat that has been cooked on the fire, pleased by its aromas, but also by the rich mouthfeel of its kukume. 
our ancestors didn't have to be able to give Kukumi a name or know its chemical sources to enjoy it. So, in that the truth. So the article continues. Chef researchers, I love that term, chef researchers, employed by top restaurants such as Nabila Rodriguez uh, Valeron at Copenhagen's award-winning Alchemist, are now eagerly experimenting with the ways in which kukume could be featured in modern meals to make food that tastes rich but are low in fat. A recent study by... Ciaran Forde, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. I'll spell it for you. C-I-A-R-A with the little accente goo over it. N, next word, F-O-R-D-E, Ciaran Ford. Uh, at the Clinical Nutrition Research Center in Singapore, discovered that if the amino acid associated with kukume is added to beef broth, particularly in combination with umami flavors, Consumers perceive the broth to be richer and have more calories. God, I love this article. Okay. Many traditional recipes from cultures from around the world appear to already take advantage of the kokume effect. For example, adding onion and garlic to soup stock to give it further, deeper flavor. Often recipes start with a step in which chopped onions are soaked in fat or oil in effect amplifying the flavors of those fats and oils. Kukume is a taste that asks us to think about food holistically. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then there's one last part here that has its own heading, which just says, share your thoughts. Okay. And so this will be, be good for us to think about when we move on to, to our second half. Do you believe you've tasted kukume? And in what foods? (laughs) (laughs) This is join the conversation below. If the history of umami is any indication, the market will decide on kukume's importance before scientists and chefs come to full agreement. After Akita discovered umami, he went on to figure out how to produce a substance that triggered the taste. Monosodium gluten glutamate, or MSG. He patented the production, and long before scientists accepted the discovery, MSG was sold around the world to add umami taste to foods. The company he started, which is Ajinomoto Company Incorporated, now employs tens of thousands of people. A similar pattern may already be underway with Kokume, and to this point, three companies... Uh, at Ajinomoto itself and the food and flavor companies Kerry and Biospringer have released kokume powders that they say add pleasing kokume effect without adding calories. You can try them and judge for yourself. Kokume is unlikely to be the last new taste we discover. Around the world, scientists have leads on many others. Our mouths remain full of mysteries, allowing us to experience surprises and delights each time we eat. And then the last thing here, and this is that's the end of the article, but it goes on. It says, Dr. Dunn, who is one of the authors here, is a professor of applied ecology at North Carolina State University, and Ms. Sanchez is a medical anthropologist. This essay is adapted from their new book, quote, 
Delicious, The Evolution of Flavor and How It Made Us Human, which was published by the Princeton University Press. And now I need that book. Now I need that book. There we go. We dropped a book at the end of this. Don't mind if we do. (laughs) Oh, terrific. Uh, Gosh, and we just had Father's Day and then my birthday, but... I think there's there's room, maybe some R&D on that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. That was a, a lovely number of minutes there. Let's bounce out for a moment and return with part two. kick off the riffing portion of this could you go back to mm-hmm. the the early part mm-hmm. of the article and and frame kukumi for us again is there a tight definition that we can refer back to here uh yeah yeah, yeah. um let me read this so koku reflects a sensory experience most closely allied with touch influenced by aromas and textures Adding the Japanese suffix mi, meaning taste, highlights the specific taste detected by the tongue. The precise nature of kukumi remains the subject of great debate among sensory scientists and chefs, in part because it can't be detected on the palate by its own. Rather, it modifies mm. other tastes and flavors. And, and that's, I like both parts of that. I love the idea of it being a taste touch right Mm. the way in which those flavors touch the tongue make contact with the taste buds Mm -hmm. and the idea that that has to happen in concert with something else with food with liquid like i think that's really lovely and i think gives it a complexity that makes sense of it Yes. And, you know, there was one there was one line in here, you know, because the whole time I'm reading this, I'm trying to connect it to whiskey. And I. Mm, oh, right. Easily. Of course. But I but I think whiskey almost may be this this Kokumi in reverse. So if you think about one of the later points where it said people will add onions or garlic to oil to make that oil a better experience. It's mm-hmm. the oil in the whiskey that makes the whiskey a better experience, mm-hmm. right? It's it's those it's those fatties. So with kokumi, you're enhancing flavors and adding a richness without adding calories. But in whiskey, to get that richness and flavor, you need the oils and the fats to come through, which do carry those calories. Uh, so, so it really is almost kukumi in reverse if I'm, if, 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 I, if I'm thinking about it the right way. Yeah, I'd have to think about it more to decide if it was in reverse or not. But it, it strikes me that it's a form of it. Calories to the side. Mm. It was the line that you mentioned in the article about the lengthening of time. Yeah. Right? And, and the thought that we talk about taste on the palate. We also talk about how taste moves around on the palate. That we do. Yep. But then but then we talk about finish. And what's finish if not the lengthening of time that the whiskey exists mm-hmm. in the mouth 
Mm. And in the memory, right? It's the memory of the tasting that lingers, the the pepperiness of it, the woodiness of it, the baking spices of it. So that's interesting. You know, we've had plenty of whiskies that have been that have that have had a nice oily, viscous texture, but have lacked in finish. Do you think we've had much of that? Like I, oh, I, I know, I know for a fact we've had plenty of cast samples that have had a good texture, a good aroma, decent flavors. But then you said, "Where's the finish?" It just shoop went away. It was, it was gone. It just fell off, you know, it fell off a cliff. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not going to say it hasn't happened. It, it has, but I don't, I don't think of it happening that much. And, and maybe it's my own perceived biases where I remember the thin ones. And I don't expect the thin ones to have much of a finish. Yeah. To have a nice viscous sample that doesn't have much of a finish, I think that just, obviously we don't select it for bottling for single cast nation, mm. but I think it then just fades away. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't resonate in my memory, even though it's this occasional yeah. experience that we sometimes encounter. You know, I think one of the difficulties, whether it's whiskey or potentially this Kokume, is how much of the discovery is subjective, right? Because I'm having a different experience. I, I'm saying that, oh, yeah, I, I remember a few times where this happened. And you're saying, geez, I don't really remember a time when we've had this nice, rich, oily whiskey in a short finish. So, you know, how much of Kokume could be subjective. I don't think umami is a subjective thing. Umami is what umami is. But I think if we sat down in the moment and you said, that's viscous but doesn't have much of a finish to it, I think I would potentially agree with you in that moment. And so I think it's maybe less subjective than memory is suggesting, gosh, I'm I'm forgetting most things these days. Um, you know, a, an example of a whiskey that didn't go into an SCM bottle, that's not going to take up any of the internal hard drive here. I'm going to cast that out. But I, but I do think if we sat under some kind of normal conditions, you in your office, me in my office, mm -hmm. I was over FaceTime or Zoom or what have you, I think we would agree on it more times than not. There's not a lot of moments when one of us is saying to the other, Oh, the finish on this. Boy, that just goes on and on and on. And the other person says, are you taking crazy pills? Mm -hmm. Like, I got no finish at all. Like, how often has that type of yeah. thing happened? Yeah, yeah. Right, that, that's not common at all. No, 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 no. So no, no. Uh, no. I, I think it could potentially end up like umami. I think it's interesting that you've got the scientists saying it doesn't come alone it can't be tested by itself. That's interesting. I, yes, right? That's, I mean, it almost makes me think of scientists trying to uh, detect, you know, um, uh, uh, quantum cells, right? And not quantum cells, but, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. right, yeah, qu quantum um, particles. Um, mm -hmm. But let me get back quickly to this part here where it says... The newer taste kakumi is even harder to describe than umami, but is potentially just as important for understanding how and why we enjoy food. In Japanese, the term koku 
describes foods that have a kind of mouthfeel or uh, or thickness, often imparted by fats. What English speakers might describe as rich. And so let's get back to that. You know, I I think mm-hmm. balancer at the time, and I'm near positive it was balancer, uh, Anthony Riviera. I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. Talking about memory, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who, who said, you know, I'm, I'm having a difficult time understanding what the heck rich is. But I think this is starting to allude to that richness, right? Let's get back to the onions in the oil. Let's get back to what's that oil in whiskey doing to the flavors. It's providing a depth of flavor and a length of time, right? Well, in, in you and I trying to articulate or parse out what we meant by rich, we talked about rich almost needs a partner. Yes. Right? Yeah. Richly something, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> R- right? And it seemed like it was perhaps grammatical rather than it was sensory, right? And so it's, it's nice to hear, the point I just made a moment ago, the scientist saying Kukumi doesn't come alone. Mm. Perhaps rich doesn't come alone mm. right it has to be attached to something and, and that that line towards the end of the article about tasting holistically i i love mm. love love that idea and and when you and i are tasting whiskies and selecting whiskies on one hand we talk about the thread that runs from nose to palate to finish mm-hmm. and we're talking about mouthfeel to think about that holistically is to bring that thread that we talk about yeah. together. That is mm. the thread that ties yes. that experience yeah. together. Yeah. And it's why we say, could have a great nose, but a middle in palate, we won't select it. We're looking for the full experience, yes. nose, palate, finish, and texture. I, 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 I think for these 10 years, We've been discussing this holistically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and trying to trying to identify what makes up that that holistic system, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but but yeah, you can't have one without the other. It does all come together. It, it and I think yeah, go ahead. And I think richly takes that home. You and I had a very serious conversation about you know after discussion of Balancer's email, Anthony Rivera. After discussing that email, should we remove Rich from the flavometer? Mm-hmm. And and it was interesting to me as we worked through the the flavometers for the seventh U.S. retail release. Yeah, I think Rich was a bar that we gave the highest number to mm-hmm. on virtually every whiskey. <laughs> it's true. And <laughs> and the thought of Rich not playing a role in the flavometer. And and I love the fact that Balancer really brought it to our attention and really gave us reason to think deeply about it. To remove rich, for us with the flavometer, to remove it makes as much sense as removing smoky or removing oak, right? Rich is doing a lot of heavy lifting for us as we talk about the experience of any individual whiskey. But, you know, interestingly, in reading Anthony's email, 
we we said, just you know, we did think about it. Should this be removed? Because it's not something that's so easily described, much like Kokumi is not so easily. It doesn't described. come alone, <laughs> right? And this reminds me of my favorite, one of my favorite movies. And there was a whole there was a whole series. It was called Rich and Kokumi Never Come Alone. Have you have you have you seen that series? Volume seven is the best. Is this thing on? Hello. Not sure I understood all the words. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, what's interesting is I I thought while reading this that I would end up with a series of questions. And rather, I've ended up with, I think, a series of possible answers instead. Mm. Right? As, as As it relates to whiskey, as it relates to how we approach whiskey and describe whiskey and what we look for when we bottle whiskey. For me, if... If there is a lingering question, as they talked in in the article there, you know, scientists, individuals will continue to find new flavors. Mm -hmm. My thinking is something you and I have championed for a decade and and our friends at Westland are the only other ones I know, (laughs) although um, Stephanie... uh, Oh, Stephanie... Stephanie, Oh, jeez, Louise. Talking about memory. Yeah, yeah. Stephanie. Stephanie McLeod. McLeod. I was going to say McLeod. Yeah, from from Bacardi, right? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. She was another person who talked about... Nasal texture. Nose feel, right? And so nose feel is one that I'm waiting to see crop up somewhere. But the fact that Kakumi could be identified on the palate makes me very hopeful that nose texture will get its day as well. And that'll be a good one. That'll be, that'll feel validating. Who who knows, a hundred years from now, someone may say, independent bottlers, Joshua Hatton and Jason Johnson Yellen, discovered a thing called nasal texture. And now these people are, there's going to be a Wall Street Journal uh, article, I promise (laughs) you, long after we're dead. You think there'll be a Wall Street Journal in a hundred years? That's a conversation for another. Let's wrap this one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a phenomenal article to bring out. The, these are the types of conversations that are that you know the types of conversations one should have with a dram on a summer's day. And and let me actually throw this in right. because it was inspired by extra extra. Mm-hmm. When you and I put together our One Nation Under Whiskey episode where we each brought a list of five whiskies yes. that we thought should be on, on every whiskey lover's shelf, which was a response to the article we covered in Extra Extra about you know 10 bottles between $150 and $200 that you should have, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. And and we, we thought there were some better purchases could be made there. During today's episode, I have been sitting... Sipping on Craigellicky 13-year-old, the OB, which I did not have on my shelves, which made it in as an honourable mention to your fivesome. And? And it's been delicious. Yes. Absolutely delicious. And I've been sitting here thinking about Kukumi as I've been sipping on this Craigellicky 13 at 46% alcohol. And I I think there there are whispers of Kukumi running through this dram, the reason Craigellicky made me happy is we did our independent bottling of a Craigellicky 
that was an umami bomb. Umami bomb, right? We would talk about chicken broth right? and yeah, right? exactly. Right? Absolute ramen, shiitake you know? mushroom. And, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, right. And I poured it in LA, and people at, at Bar Jackalope inside Seven Grand were were just like, "This is ramen coming and going. This is incredible." And so, to to think about that umami bomb with our own Krigeliki, mm-hmm. and then here we are with Kukumi with this Ob Krigeliki. And then thinking about Stephanie McLeod, I was just who's responsible say, yeah. for what's coming out of Craig Ellicke <laughs> as well. So I just thought this little dram, which I, I just simply poured because I wanted to taste it since you and I were, were on FaceTime together. Mm-hmm. Here it's fit this episode so beautifully. So I wanted to take a minute or two at the end here just to give it a little moment and to give you a thumbs up. That that, that really was a good honourable mention. I am, am I remembering that correctly? It was an honourable mention. No, it was Or was it one of your five? It, it was one of my five. The honorable mention was the the backwoods. That was an uh, honorable I, mention. Yep. Which I already own, but also the Glen Murray 18. Yes, that was, was an honorable yes. mention. Yep, yep, yep. And I bought a bottle of that with the Craig Elliki. Have you opened that uh, one yet? Anthony uh, not yet, not yet. Anthony Levinson at Roma brought in both for me. Okay. And so as always, I appreciate Anthony in this service. Yeah, he good. provides to a, to a young man like myself who lives in a whiskey desert like Virginia, where the ABC store doesn't always take good care of me, Joshua. It, listen, they they say it, but I don't believe it. ABC is not as easy as one, two, three. It really isn't. No, I tell you what, it is as easy as, though. I did pick up a Ardbeg Scorch Committee off the shelf. So hat tip to my friends at Virginia ABC. I give you a hard time. That was very impressive. I got groceries in the supermarket and I went next door to the ABC store and picked up a bottle of Scorch Committee. Committee. Can't Amazing. argue with that. Amazing. Yeah. Well done. So with that said, if if our dear listeners, just like Richard Baum here, would like to get in contact with us, please piggyback on the questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com email address. No Ian Whiskey. Let's keep it real. And until next time, we are going to go off for a July 4th weekend, and you're going to go off on vacation, Joshua Hatton. I am at that. Yes, I am. Enjoy, my friend. You as well. Enjoy. Happy birthday, America. Catch you on the flippity-flop. Flip a flop. I take you to the flippity-flip-flip-flop, and you don't stop. I salute America, and I salute our dear listeners. As do I. Cheerio, everybody. Cheerio. Pip-pip. Doodle-loop. Oh, pop, 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 pop.